Welcome to a very special episode of But Now We Said It. In this episode, we're going to be covering all things Erica Jane and Tom Girardi and the Housewife and the Hustler documentary. And to help me do that, I'm joined by my two guests, Rais Mohammed, who's an attorney and partner at RM Warner Law, and Matt Hamilton, who's an investigative journalist. He wrote that LA Times article that's been featured throughout this season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I reached out to both Tom Girardi and Erica Jane's team regarding the allegations and did not hear back. Most recently, Tom's lawyers have declined to comment when other publications have reached out for a response. Erica Jane has denied any prior knowledge of Tom and his firm allegedly misusing funds. So let's dive right on in. Hi, Rais. Hey, Steve. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Give everyone sort of a background on, on you and sort of tell them who you are. Absolutely. So uh, Steve said, Rais Muhammad. I'm the founding partner of my law firm in Scottsdale, Arizona called RM Warner. And uh, we deal with a lot of internet related issues. So a lot of e-commerce, uh, internet defamation, online harassment, celebrity types of issues, uh, influencer type of issues. And we have a traditional corporate practice as well. So representing founders and entrepreneurs of mostly web companies, but all sorts of brick and mortar companies as well. And, um, you know, that gives us an interesting kind of eyeball into a lot of these issues like this Tom Girardi and Erica Jane issue. And to be honest with you, the legal side of it is what intrigues me because I normally I, I'm not a huge like TV show watcher. Like I don't really generally watch the show except for this issue. So it's uh, it's been an interesting one for us, for sure. Hi, Matt. Good to see you. Hi, Steve. How are you? Yeah, I'm a staff writer at the L.A. Times. I've been there for eight years now. So I do investigative reporting. I cover civil courts, criminal courts, um, a little bit of USC and a little bit of whatever's going on. So I, I have been covering to varying degrees the Tom Girardi, Erica Girardi saga the last uh, eight months, um, which has been really interesting. I got my start in journalism at a legal newspaper in Los Angeles that covered Tom Girardi. Like he was the biggest story ever. Um, and met Tom Girardi. I've been to, I went to a party that he threw in Las Vegas several years ago, you know, back, you know, even before Erica was even on the show um, and met Aaron Brockovich and everyone in that whole universe. So it, it's been really interesting to see this whole, you know, Girardi case was just like the gold standard for a long time. And now it's, you know, no one wants to be associated with the firm. How is Tom in person? The same as he was on TV. I mean, he had this very, you know, his eyes could light up and he was so enthusiastic. And, you know, even he never knew my name. Like I'm not someone who knew him well at all, but he just, he came off as so sincere and so friendly. Um, and the character that you meet on the show, especially early on in Erica's tenure on the show is, is really who he was. He, or at least who he seemed to be. Um, and just, you know, generous, you know, he, he was always throwing parties, always inviting people. And um, you couldn't find anyone to say a bad thing about him. Yeah, he just has this very friendly, um, generous, uh, you know, old school, you know, kind of old LA type of vibe about him. And, you know, there, there were every now and then you would see an article that kind of pointed to some conflict or he was sued or, you know, I think a lot of people in the legal world would kind of brush it off and say, you know, he is, he's a big figure among plaintiff's attorneys. Um, he's clearly very wealthy and wealthy people tend to be magnets for lawsuits. So, you know, it, it, that was the, the line that people often went to when, whenever he got into trouble. Uh, agree with Matt. I mean, that's a common, uh, an easy way for people to kind of hide out, especially big wig plaintiff's lawyers is you're hated by a lot of people. I mean, you're hated <laughs> by the entire defense bar, especially if you're rich and in people's face and throwing lavish parties, people generally don't like that. It looks a little gaudy. It's like, oh, this is insurance money or in our case, uh, orphan money. <laughs> but but yeah. to, to put that in your pocket, it's easy. I feel like he had the opportunity to coast for a long time because 
it was easy for him to say, ah, those are just my haters. Those are my trolls, right? Like this was said even in the Housewife and the Hustler documentary, one of the gentlemen said like, you are the one that represents the man, but then you're throwing all these parties, throwing all this wealth in our face and showing us that you're kind of the man and we don't want mm -hmm. you to be the man kind of thing. Was he just kind of a rare person to be flaunting that wealth for what type of law and stuff that he did? I find him to be somewhat of an extreme form of plaintiff's attorneys. I mean, he, I, I think it should be clear, like all of his wealth up until now was derived on people who have had terrible things happen to them or their family. So people who died or are injured by their doctor or are hit by a car or, you know, are maimed by a defective product, like all the wealth he ever had or, or their backyard was polluted and they have cancer. I mean, you know, human suffering was kind of at the center of his business model um, and holding companies and people accountable for that. So the money was always from widows and orphans, you know, generally speaking. It's really interesting because when you get to these contingency fee injury lawyers um, who, are, who are working big cases, um, you know, whether it's the fire cases in California or toxic tort cases or the pharmaceutical cases, these are big cases, they're big money cases. And mm -hmm. there is an element of, let me flaunt my success everywhere, even in our town here, right? It, it, there is an element of, I want people to pull up to these beautiful steel iron, you know, gates, see my mansion in the back and my Rolls Royce or two or three parked in the front so I can show my bravado. And, mm. and there is an element of that in every plaintiff's, you know, contingency, um, not all, but many of them like to, like to flaunt that. And it was like, not just one private jet, but two. Which is unbelievable. You know, like right. that's wild. <laughs> what was different around Tom, and we can talk about this later, is just the orbit of people around him. Like it wasn't just other lawyers and attorneys, you know, it was politicians, it was judges, it was defense lawyers. Like, you know, he had that, like people just wanted to be around him and be in his presence. Um, and that was true through a lot of his career. Or speaking generally, like the burn rate, like you're, you're just get used to spending that much amount of money. And if, if you, you know, it often happens with plaintiffs attorneys where they just, you know, they have a bad case or a string of bad cases, or they miscalculate like what their revenue may be. And it's like credit cards. Like once you fall behind, it's, you're kind of just trying to tread water to keep up. Let's go ahead and just do like a, a brief, like overall picture of yeah. okay. with Tom. So you did, you know, the amazing investigative journalism work on Tom Girardi and all of this. So can you go ahead and sort of give us sort of, a, you know, the overall picture? The overall picture. So, so Tom uh, became a lawyer in 1965. So he, and, and you know, his career kind of, uh, I don't, I don't want to say it was slow to take off, but, you know, he, the first few years, like any lawyer, were just kind of a lot of false starts. And then in the 70s, he had one of the first, I, I believe the first verdict for over a million dollars for medical malpractice in California, if I'm remembering that correctly. And that kind of turbocharged his career. Um, it was a... And he really became, he really carved out a niche in that space. Um, and you know, we, we have the memoir that he never published that he had hired a ghostwriter for. And he talks about how he quickly realized that, you know, it wasn't just being, you know, really good in the courtroom. You had to kind of cultivate relationships with judges, with people who could be judges, with lawyers on the other side of the aisle, um, to really be a successful lawyer and that he could negotiate settlements like over a drink, you know, much more effectively than, um, you know, playing hardball in the courtroom. And that really seemed to work through much of his career. Um, one of his big early cases involved workers at a plant in Burbank um, who were injured by toxic pollution. Um, I'm kind of blanking on... Lockheed Martin, sorry. So that was a very, um, it, it, he got a lot of headlines for that. Um, you know, ultimately it's unclear how many workers got money, but the, the, 
the verdicts um, and settlements that were coming through the news initially were very big. Um, his career really took off with the um, the lawsuits that became portrayed in Aaron Brockovich. Now, Tom was not the attorney who was working with Aaron Brockovich to like get all the members of Hinkley, California to pursue their lawsuit against Pacific Gas and Electric. If you've seen the movie, um, Tom was part of the wealthy lawyers who kind of came in midway through the case and really helped, you know, reach a deal with PG&E. And in, in the movie, he's not even named as Tom Girardi. He's actually a composite character uh, played by Peter Coyote. Um, but he really kind of hitched his ride to the Aaron Brockovich press because, frankly, like a lot of people don't really make the distinction that he is not, the you know, and he, that movie made people understand like, okay, lawyers can take people who are just like the small person, you know, the David versus Goliath and hold corporations accountable. And he recognized that that, that narrative was like one of the lasting impacts of that movie um, and really, you know, helped recruit clients and, and attorneys uh, who for years afterward. And, you know, I, I think all told he has billions of dollars in settlements that he has helped negotiate um, with pharmaceutical companies, energy companies, um, you know, lawsuits against city governments, you name it. But meanwhile, you know, throughout his career, he is, he or his law firm have been accused of misappropriating settlement money, uh, you know, delaying payment of money that was owed to clients, um, or just performing substandard legal work. And, and so that, when we looked at the actual court records in Los Angeles and in across California, we found that that was a constant for at least the last three decades that, you know, clients were angry and suing him because they felt that they had been cheated or swindled or just didn't get sufficient representation uh, for their injuries uh, that they experienced. Now, granted, attorneys are sued all the time. You know, he had a big and successful practice. So that's just a good thing to keep in mind. But given what's happened in the last few years, it's, it is very striking to see this um, string of angry clients. I was going to make a footnote there that uh, the state, not to get too far ahead of myself, but the state bar of California has come out and so much has said that they acknowledge now <laughs> that they jacked up a lot of complaints. I mean, mm -hmm. you got to understand something, you know, in Arizona where I'm licensed, if you bounce a trust account check or you overdraw or something happens, it is an automatic, the bank notifies the bar because that mm -hmm. account is tied to the bar. The interest that's collected on that money in the trust account goes to a bar fund. Like you cannot mm -hmm. mess with that. And when I look at the history, as Matt was saying, like this goes back, it is 100% oversight on, on law, law firm regulators. Shame on those douchebags. You know, if I could say that, because <laughs> honestly, it's, 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 I think it's a lot of the margaritas and parties in Vegas and parties in Beverly Hills that kept that fueling. It has to be because it doesn't make sense. So we, I know we keep saying like big lawyer, they get sued all the time. They get sued all the time. What is a reasonable thing for a big lawyer to be sued for? Why do they get sued all the time? I think it would be accurate to say this. Every lawyer is at risk of being sued, but right. multiple, multiple lawsuits. And again, depending on what the allegations are, multiple lawsuits for professional negligence, performing below the standard of care, or let's take it a step further. Complaints about you didn't pay me my money. Well, what the hell is that about? That has nothing to do with the standard of care. That has to do with the fact mm -hmm. that you settled the case. You haven't paid me, which is an act of dishonesty that this guy, we know for a fact today has engaged in for years. We have to distinguish the trust account from a general operating account for that exact reason, because it's presumed when you get a settlement check, it cannot go into your regular account because it's it's called it's mixed, uh, you know, it's mixed client money or money. You pay your lien holders first, um, your, your third party lien holders, physicians who did stuff on liens, chiropractors, right? Court reporters have to get paid first. You write a check then to the client and then you take your money. 
That's the step. It's a three-step process. And generally you do yeah. one check, right? Right. No, it's exactly right. Like this guy, I was shocked to learn, was offering some kind of structured payment to his clients. Like, mm -hmm. oh, let me let me invest that for you. No, yeah. dude. You're not a financial advisor. No. Or even yes. like we, you know, here's the first 10,000 of your $50,000 settlement or or just not even saying what the total amount owed is just, you know, they call it tolling payments um and and what the presumption of attorneys who work in this seems to be that, you know, you don't you've already spent the other money. You're just giving the 10,000 you have at that point in time. We have the trust. We have our funds not paying his court reporters, not paying, um, mm -hmm. you know, people that were working with him or partnering with him. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so, um, and Raiz, correct me if I'm wrong, but so Tom was filing these really big cases with sometimes dozens, hundreds, even thousands of clients. So he can't possibly recruit that many people. So what a lot of attorneys will do is they will refer their clients um, over to Tom. And the expectation is typically that you would, the referring attorney would get a third of the attorney's cut of the settlement. So, and, and a, Tom would typically get a third to 40%. So he's basically giving up a portion of his fees to the attorney who sent over at Joe, Joe, John Doe client. Um, and he, Tom was filing these really massive cases. So say it's like residents of around this plant in rural California that are all being, you know, have pollution. Tom may bundle together the clients of one or several attorneys. Um, so you have this kind of mega case against this plant. And what the allegation is, Tom wasn't paying those referral fees. He was pocketing all or a portion and stiffing fellow attorneys. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Raiz, but like there's no sure way to anger like the legal community than to be known as someone who is stiffing fellow attorneys. Like 100%. And, and that's the interesting thing about it is the guy clearly had a lot of clout for a long time. I mean, he, 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 he got away with it for a very long time. So you have to think it's a bunch of cases. They're tri the money's trickling in. So was it kind of like, did he do the Ponzi thing where he's robbing Peter to pay Paul? He's paying client money out of one settlement to say, Hey dude, let me just pay. Yeah. You know, John Doe case number one came in. Okay. Here, here's, here's 15%. I'll give you the other 15. You know, I got to pay my staff. Mm -hmm. I got to pay the, you know, the litigation funders. And also like a lot of these cases settle behind closed doors. So the attorney who sent over all these clients, they don't really know when it's settled, how much it's for, like they're kind of in the dark too. So you have these cases where an attorney is reaching out maybe like a year or two or more after and be like, where's my money? And Tom's like, we haven't gotten the money yet. Like, doesn't seem to be true. One so. of the things that is sort of a challenge here as well, as Matt was saying with oral agreements and expectations is not every state bar uh, allows referral fees. Most do not. You, you have to do it in a way that we're associated counsel. So we're both on the fee agreement. Um, we're both sort of taking some mm -hmm. responsibility of the matter. Like in Arizona, you can't just say, Matt, thanks for referring me to this case. I'll work it up and I'll pay you a percentage. You can't do that. So that's the other part I think he was playing. Uh, I think he took advantage of the rules and said, no, I don't know you shit. I, 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 don't, I can't pay you a referral fee. It's unethical. So I'll, you know, I'll take care of you because you helped on the on the case a little bit. After Tom won the, the what was the Brockovich case, um, he took a bunch of judges on a cruise ship in the Mediterranean, uh, and it was like a big <laughs> local scandal. Like there were just, just judges gone wild. Judges, yes. judges, <laughs> judges, and like spouses on a cruise, and you know the LA Times covered it. Like a, a predecessor who's now dead. Um, you know, judges had to reimburse parts of the trip. Um, there were a lot of ethics questions then about Tom's proximity to the people who decide these cases. Not even that, it's just a lot of these people, a lot of judges, at least in Los Angeles, you could say have their judgeship in large part because Tom helped back them. Like Tom sat on the committee for a long time that helped vet judges and only under Gavin Newsom was that committee's identity public record. Um, you know, it was just kind of 
known that Tom was like a kingmaker among, for judges and you would want to, you know, proverbially kiss the ring in order to have his backing to be a judge. That's insane that our system is set up at a point where th one person can have this much influence and control over a huge system. Yeah, I mean, just to go back to what Gavin Newsom said, he said, you know, Tom's one of my biggest donors, I believe. Um, so, Because Tom gave millions and millions over the years to mostly Democratic candidates, um, you know, Barbara Boxer, Dianne Feinstein, uh, Gavin Newsom, Jerry Brown, uh, you know, John Edwards' presidential run. Like, John Edwards was a trial attorney in North Carolina, and he, like, Tom Girardi hosted parties for him and was a major backer, um, you know. I mean, when Tom opened the, uh, the building at Loyola Law School named after his dad, a Supreme Court justice was present. Like, so it, he just had connections <laughs> all over the place. And it's, you know, it, it's shock. He just accumulated so much and he, he was friendly. You know, there's rarely a bad thing said about him. He gave money. Um, I mean, he hosted a fundraiser for even Joe Biden as recently as in 2019. So, and Erica was there. So it just, it's it's amazing. I, I mean, I, I don't know other, any other word to describe it. It's just he amassed so much power and influence. And only now that he doesn't really have any, is it really coming out? The big case that made all of this public was the Lion Air case, correct? Yes, I, I would say that was the big one. I, I, the Rui Gomez case as well, like kind of both of those in tandem were like the big pressure points. So... Lion Air was a, the Boeing 737 MAX that one of the planes crashed off the coast of Indonesia, killed everyone on board, and a, all the surviving relatives sued Boeing. Tom represented a bunch of them. They settled. Uh, Boeing paid, I believe, $2 million per deceased person and sent the money, but... Girardi's firm either paid, didn't pay a portion or paid none of the money, um, I believe. And these victims' families were like, where's our money? Where's our money? And the attorneys in Chicago, because this case was filed in Chicago, you know, they're a totally different firm and they're exposed too. And they're like, where's the money? You know, you have to pay the clients. Um, and so they finally took Tom to court. They, they sued Girardi. Um, but what's interesting about this is that these, like a lot of the clients were minors. Um, so this federal judge in Chicago had authority to really directly oversee the, the flow of the money in a way that he couldn't, if there were not children involved. So that's why you saw this judge in Chicago really, you know, he took a harder line than, than most really quickly because, you know, he, you know, obviously this judge has an interest in watching the flow of money for anyone, but because there were minors involved, you know, he really, you know, he froze the assets, you know, he held Tom in contempt. He referred Tom to the U S attorney for criminal, uh, you know, alleging criminal conduct, you know, and those are, that's, and, and he said this all on the record, which you just never really hear. Um, you know, he described it as unconscionable. unconscionable. Yeah, he just like, he, he was so... He saw through it. He saw through it. And, you know, some will say like, you know, well, you know, it, it took a judge outside Los Angeles to really bring this all down because um, he had no investment in the personalities. And I, I don't know if, we don't know that to be like fully true, but like, it, it is very telling that he just was firm, direct, and was like, you know, did not, he was not beholden in any way to any of the people involved. In the documentary, The Housewife and the Hustler, we learn that after Tom settles the Rugomez case, he offers to invest the money for his clients. Raiz, how unusual is that? This is unethical. Never. The answer is you never do it. They instruct you not to do this. Even if your client said, 
hey, would you invest this for me and put it in the 6%? I hear you're good with money. You never do it because it's a conflict of interest on top of compounding the fact that you just settled this case and you should pay the money. And one of those guys, uh, Rodriguez, yeah, one of them, and I, I forgot the name, but waited like nine years to get some sort of like over the course of nine years, this stuff is being revealed. And then, you know, you hear some of these voicemails from Tom to his mm -hmm. client and the guy's a saint. Like Matt said, he's got a white hat. Hey, I'm checking in on you. And I'm, you know, I'm if, mad if, too. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I'm mad too. Like he's playing the victim. Like, don't worry, my son. Like he's Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. He's ready to slice your arm off. He doesn't give a shit about you. He's He needs his money. He's paying for mansions and parties. It's so disgusting. As an attorney watching it, knowing that, oh, my God, the amount of scrutiny on lawyers, one of the most regulated professions, watching this guy from afar, like, dude, holy – like, really, man? How do you even have the balls to say this to your clients? So – in the event that a client suspects their lawyer is engaged in unethical or illegal behavior, who can they report their lawyer to? Yeah, you go straight to the bar. Straight to that's the bar? What, yeah, and, and most the problem is most clients don't know that that's an avenue unless they're, mm -hmm. they have family members who've gone through something similar or you know they're, they're doing research. You go to the state bar. But again, this guy has power and influence. People in the bar answer to him, it seemed like, quite literally. So – it's, it's disgusting. It's a mis it's a gross miscarriage of justice, in my opinion. I mean, it's disgusting. Just as like a background, the bar okay. for listeners, you cannot be an attorney in California unless you have a license to practice. And that's issued by the State Bar of California, which is kind of this agency under the Supreme Court of California. And the bar has, you know, so they give the bar exam to lawyers who graduate from law school um, and they also like lawyers in California have to pay dues every year that help finance this. And they have investigators that kind of sift through complaints and they even have their own little court system where, you know, they prosecute attorneys for like ethical violations, um, for, you know, stealing client money, for not being responsive to calls for, um, you know, con undeclared conflicts of interest for all sorts of like violations of being an attorney. So it's, it's very serious, um, you know, and Rice just said, like, it's a regulated industry and it's, you know, journalism isn't regulated. Anyone can call themselves a journalist, but, you know, you can't just open up a shop and call yourself a lawyer. Um, it's serious. And there's like a legal significance to all of this. And, you know, they routinely like say, People can no longer practice law um, because of things that are far less than what Tom's been accused of. Not not every state is as structured as, for example, California and Arizona are. Um, like Matt said, yeah. in California, in Arizona, you pay dues. There's an organization. There's officials. You have a president. You have operations. You have prosecutorial, prosecutorial attorneys. You have educational attorneys. Some states are not as organized, and it's just the Supreme Court and small committee that says, okay, you're licensed here. But it's it's... It's crazy because lawyers fear the, the each bar that you're licensed in. They fear the right. repercussions on their license. That's because it's your livelihood. They can ding it. They can is a public disciplinary process. Your license can get suspended. You cannot practice law if you're suspended, right? Or 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 terminated completely from practicing law. And they get so your banking for, records, so they may find something else while looking at like John Doe's complaint. You know, they may pull your Bank of America client account and be like, well, this complaint isn't true, but there's this whole other thing that's like, what the heck's going on? Um, so you never know, you know, and they can refer your conduct as an attorney to the FBI or to a local, you, know, you can end up in jail or prison, um, you know, depending on the allegations. So they can still go under a traditional court system. Um, so like the prosecutor of LA County, the district attorney could still charge an attorney with theft or, um, but this a legal court system within the state bar is, is only prosecuting for the purpose of whether to, you can keep your license or whether you'll have some sort of suspension for a year or two years or some other penalty in connection to your ability to practice law. They can't, the state bar can't send you to jail 
um, or prison. Right, right. But they can, you know, the, the holy grail is your license as an attorney. And if you can't do that, then, you know, you're out of work. So are we to assume that the bar was ignoring all of these complaints about Tom over the years? So the bar has said, like, we made mistakes over decades. Now, what those mistakes are, we don't know yet. And actually, the LA Times, we have filed a petition with the Supreme Court to unseal Tom's records with the bar because um, we think the public Good. deserves to know. Wow. So um, that's pending wow. at the moment. Um, you know, it's going to take a while but it'll be interesting to see how that case proceeds. I, don't, I can't talk it, further, but. Um, this is what really disgusts me about this. As Matt said, he's exactly right. There's a formal process, right? The state bar has lawyers who only work for the state bar. They're full-time employees. Their job is they're looking at ethics issues. They have the rules. They apply the facts to the rules. There's no jury trial. It's supposed to be a six to nine month process. Of course, if it's deeper and, 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 and more significant issues, they throw resources at it, right? Uh, it could take longer. But the point is, you cannot be this dismissive about one person. It's impossible. You, it's just, <laughs> I'm, again, as, a, as an attorney practicing for 11, 12 years, uh, client files a bar complaint. The first thing that happens, it goes into a screening process. Let's look at the facts. Let's talk to Mr. Muhammad. Mr. Muhammad, this is what happened. What happened? And they're supposed to be objective and they resolve it. Not once. Not once did the bar organization itself open a complaint against Mr. Girardi. We're talking millions of dollars gone. How the oh hell is God. that possible? Like I'm behind Matt, Matt, whatever you need to get those docs, I'm writing for you. <laughs> if you want to write, you know, but it's, it's, it's really, it's, and this is why I say it's a gross miscarriage of justice because the rest of us, who, are, who practice every day. We have to work hard. Uh, we have the same applicable rules. We have to fight like hell to make sure we don't run afoul. And intent is never is rare. Intent is rarely an issue. It's did it happen or not? Yes or no? Right. We don't mm -hmm. care. You didn't intend to harm your client, especially with clients, especially with client money. In so many mm -hmm. cases, just to get on this point, you asked Matt earlier, the DOJ will 100% come in and prosecute you for embezzlement when you're taking client funds. It has happened before. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's recently there's an attorney um, who I, I think he was convicted a month ago in L.A. You know, he had fled to Costa Rica and was accused of taking client money. But there's also um, I, I'm reminded also of the so Tom's wife before Erica had filed for divorce in the 90s. Kathy Risner, Girardi, she's now dead, but she went really like when when Sutton on the show talks about like you got to hire the forensic accountant and you have to find where all the money is that was Kathy Risner and Gerberti um she had a forensic accountant billing for hundreds of thousands of dollars and that accountant found you know basically said in court filings like the books were a mess and Tom was writing checks out of the trust account for you know, purchase stuff in Vegas, personal expenditures, like, and this is in the late nineties. Um, so this is certain, you know, and that was filed in court in LA Superior Court. Judges themselves have a responsibility to also protect the public. So this is like Matt said, if you, if somebody, if a client sues an attorney, they never went to the bar, client sues the attorney, which has happened to Tom many, many times and says, this guy took my money. He owes it to me. The judge has a responsibility to report that lawyer to the bar. Why didn't that happen? Also, that's California so is not a mandatory reporting state for, and I mean that with, so is, I don't know about Arizona, but in Arizona, do you have a legal obligation to report someone who you think is, I don't know the criteria. But. If, if you are a licensed member of the bar, like a judge or an attorney, and you come across an ethical violation, there is a responsibility to report that for, you know, if you have good cause to believe you, you should report it. I don't know if you technically, you know, mandatory, if it's a financial crime, it's mandatory. I believe under the, pretty much any jurisdiction, but it just, it just, it's mind boggling mm -hmm. that, like you said, the, he's writing checks from the trust account. You have to do a three-way reconciliation for every mm -hmm. transaction from a trust account. Real quick, we have to take a break. 
I'm torn about Erica's involvement in this season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because on the one hand, I get that it's such a bad look to be doing reality TV when your husband has such serious charges against him. But on the other hand, she has to work to make money. Uh, first of all, I agree that when the well is dry and Tom is not raining money on you, mm -hmm. uh, you, you probably have to work. Uh, personally, <laughs> uh, personally, I think she's got money stashed away. And I, I actually think I actually think that she's doing this uh, because she's working. For, it's a show. It's clout. You've seen her character. You've seen her personality. We all have. She loves being in front of the kids. She loves this in some respect, right? Obviously, nobody loves being prosecuted and being forced right. to pay $25 million over. Right. I am not a huge fan of hers. No. I, I'm not a huge fan. I feel like, and, and we can talk about it later. I don't want to jump jump the gun. But no, go, let's go ahead and we'll I, I, chat. I, I, I feel like she understood what was going on. I'm not saying she agreed and participated and said, hey, let's move the money uh, to Cook Islands. Here's the irrevocable trust. Let's put it in there. I'm not saying she did that. I'm saying I think she was aware. I think she was aware that Tom was swindling people who are funding the firm. There's people knocking, perhaps proverbial, on the door asking for money. He's living lavishly. Are you so disconnected? You got you got loans for millions of dollars in startup capital. Where is this money coming from? At this point, there's already public allegations. So, so I don't know. So this is actually, and this is where I really want to discuss all of this because I can easily imagine a scenario where Erica didn't ask Tom where the money was coming from, and she just accepted checks from him, and she was just focused on her Erica Jane career. Her name was on a bunch of the LLC stuff, but what participation would be required from her in order to set up these businesses? Yeah. So, I mean, I can tell you real quickly what the, what the tradition is and, and there's a lot of possibilities of course. Right. But if, mm -hmm. if you form a limited liability company, you meaning Steve, mm -hmm. and you say, Hey, Matt is going to be a member, which is a partner, an equity owner on the document, you file it with Matt's name. Technically in most States, California included, you can do it online. You don't require Matt's signature. Matt is now being reported publicly as being an equity owner of that company. And uh, most states do not require you to disclose the percentage of the ownership either. So it just shows two owners. It could be 99%, 1%. Um, and so the structuring of that, it's, it's quite possible. She's completely divorced from it. Like, right. She has no idea. That's what my, I mean, that's, Again, or, that's what I've been battling thinking is like she had no idea. And like, is it possible to have an LLC like that and still have no sort of knowledge of what's going on? And the question I have also is in terms of recovering assets, does it matter her knowledge? Um, is that a meaningful part of this? You know, whether or not she was aware of the provenance of the money coming in if she knew that means she is blatant like that's a moral ethical thing like she as far as legal goes i don't know but like morally for me that would change my mind on everything if she knows like she's just as bad as he is it it, it, it makes a difference because remember now the bankruptcy so this is in bankruptcy right uh mm -hmm. bankruptcy <laughs> trustee is empowered with and has an obligation to corral the assets that are collectible and there's something called non-dischargeability, which basically means that certain types of claims uh, can't be discharged in bankruptcy. Breach of contract claims, for example, generally a debt. You can get out of paying a debt when you file bankruptcy. It's a whole point of Chapter 7, right? Well, um, you know, the, the bankruptcy trustee has basically say, said that, no, I'm sorry, you owe Mr. Girardi $56.8 million to your creditors, notwithstanding your attempt to get out through bankruptcy. And- 20, 25 million of that is part of that clawback. And the reason why is important. It's because they believe that was subject to uh, an improper transfer, a fraudulent transfer. There was fraud. So there is intent that there was intent mm -hmm. to conceal this money. This is not, this is why they articulated in the court documents as a sham transaction. And that, so that becomes important. Now, whether Erica had knowledge receiving that, it may not even be relevant because if, if Tom is the one that's, let's say again, they're, they're two partners um, and Tom controls this entity. 
Tom and Erica are um, co-owners of entity B over here. Tom moves the money, whether it's through 20 transactions or one, 25 million. Hey, Erica, this is a loan. Pay it back to me. Okay, sweetheart, no problem. The fact that Tom did that is a big deal. That can be a fraudulent transfer. That can be ratcheted back. It's fraud. Now, what they're saying, you know, the, the, the trustee is putting Erica under fire because it helps claw back any subsequent transactions, any transactions that she did with that money. So the money came in, Tom knew about it. Erica now, is Erica part of this fraud? What did she buy with that? Did she invest in right. it? Are we entitled to liquidate those assets as well? So they have to sort of look at Erica as, are you, were you, know, you hoodwinked? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, were you just but, knowing exactly, hey, there's 25 million to play with, wink, wink. But in terms of the clawback, does Ooh. your knowledge, does whether you're being hoodwinked or you're a part of a fraud, is it, is it material to getting the assets back? So if, if Erica spent it or whether she knew it or not, does it matter? Can the bankruptcy trustee still get it back basically, right? That's what you're asking. Yeah, yeah. I don't think her knowledge and her intent would matter at that point. And there's a lot we don't know. You know, even in terms of what we're seeing on the show, we're not getting, this isn't a transcript. Um, it's highly edited. Um, you know, you sometimes even wonder like if the question and the answer logically follow from each other, if they're just being spliced together. So that's that's been my challenge as a reporter watching the show, being like, you know, what be great to see the raw footage here. I've been thinking that maybe the reason Erica hasn't discussed the case or even mentioned the victims this season, because acknowledging the victims would be like admitting Tom has done something illegal and could lead to her being prosecuted. It's like her admitting guilt. Raiz, what do you think about that? I, I, I'll make a comment. I'm curious to hear Matt's thoughts. I mean, if there is a criminal prosecution that comes out of it, yeah, absolutely it could be. Ab absolutely. Embezzlement, theft. Now, if it's the case that, and I'm not saying it is, but if it's the case that she has knowledge and she wants to right the wrong, she's got the money or she knows where it is, she could completely strike a deal. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of like to make an analogy, the Jen Shaw case, which is a criminal case, which is there right. is evidence of this is different. And I, I and I agree. I, I, I'm a healthy skeptic, uh, you know, about what's happening here with. Uh, well, I think Eric everyone is. Yeah, I think everyone is very mm -hmm. skeptical. Yeah. That. I mean, right. I was going to say that, first of all, I, I, I have no idea her exposure criminally. But yesterday, Robert Durst um was convicted of murder in Los Angeles. I don't know if you saw the Jinx, the HBO documentary um, about a guy, you know, it's he's he's been linked, people in his life have died under suspicious circumstances over the years, including his wife, his former roommate, and then his best friend, Susan Berman in Los Angeles. And he participated in a documentary on HBO that explored uh, these deaths and his connections to them. And he also participated in a movie. Um, he he was, there was a fictional version of his life that was created into a movie. And he did like a an audience track to the movie where he commented on the movie. And I'm bringing that up because that, his comments in the both films and the raw footage to the documentary filmmakers was central evidence in the case. And was it the smoking gun? No, but it did show jurors, you know, if someone's not going to testify in the witness stand, but you have, you know, hours and hours of footage of someone being asked about the central figures at hand, it's like, it's usable in court. Um, now, what a prosecutor does with it, how they choose to spin it for a jury, I have no idea. But like, in t talking about like, her decision to be on a show. I'm not saying she's Robert Durst. That's not what I'm saying. But this yeah. footage is um, is an asset to someone who wants to go after her if they think there's something there. Saying anything about the victims, could that be spun in a courtroom to help the prosecution against if she would be charged with something? It could. I, I don't I don't know. Um, I mean, she did say the victim should be taken care of. I think that's she did Terror. say that, yeah. something like that. Um, but so she hasn't been totally silent 
but I feel like that's, I don't have a crystal ball, but you know, Tom to me is like the real, like there's what we do know is like within the law firm. and, And it does seem like Tom's law firm was also like where their personal finances were also handled in some way. The, within the law firm, like Tom was very secretive, like no one in the firm had access, you know, none of the other attorneys appear to have had access to financial records. Um, uh, you know, there was a, the bookkeeper or the CFO has said he would plead the fifth. So there's so much we don't know. Um, and it's, I feel like that's been the hard part about this season is like people want answers so like they want to know is erica going to jail is she not and and i don't know (laughs) and what did she know it'll be interesting to see if 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 tom if if any charges are filed against him ej global one of erica's companies is an llc and llcs are supposed to protect the owners from creditors but if a crime has been committed can those creditors disregard the corporate shield first of all there is a legal remedy called Mm -hmm. alter ego fraud or what we've called piercing the corporate veil many people have heard about that and it's often used in this exact situation and the trustees doing exactly that um they're going they're going to hold the owners personally responsible especially like matt said when you use a company like a law firm as a personal kitty back that is precisely the type of rationale that courts will use prosecutors will use plaintiffs counsel will use to disregard the entity and go after the individuals And when the courts come after the money that belongs to the victims, and if that can be tied to Erica, can the money they take back include purchases made on credit cards for like, I don't know, Erica's glam squad? This is an interesting question because if the domino of sham transactions does not end with Erica Jane, if lawyers can prove that these are not arm's length transactions, they're over market rate, they're unusually high in volume, they don't make sense, then it's possible, but not automatically. They, they, they're not going to be able to just go after these guys and say, hey, I, I know you were the hairdresser and, and you use this to pay for your kid's school and mortgage, but we need that back. A question and- I have is, so Tom had a bunch of cases at the time that his firm collapsed. Um, in particular, there's one involving the Porter Ranch gas leak Uh, And he was telling creditors, like, you know, we could get hundreds of millions of dollars from the settlement. Um, So say they have a massive windfall from one of these cases and, you know, 100 million or 200 million comes into the estate. Will that render some of their efforts to claw back money from Erica moot if other money comes in to cover the debts? Yeah, it's a great question. So what will happen is um, if the bankruptcy trustee gains access to this they can actually and i I think in the bankruptcy in fact they had special counsel appointed right and so special counsel can make an independent decision like yes settle this case or no push Mm -hmm. it forward and yeah it it could in theory wipe out the need to have that money taken back i think it could still lead again if intent and all that's shown um to determine whether she was involved in an embezzlement or fraud or some scam but yes, in, in terms of paying back victim compensation fund, those funds could certainly be used. So what happens to all of the unfinished cases now that Tom's law firm is gone? The bankruptcy trustee, um, one of her first tasks actually back when it was, it was, so the bankruptcy was filed in December and for the first two or three months, I believe she was basically soliciting bids from attorneys to take on some of these cases. So she farmed them out. Uh, and I'm saying she, it's Alyssa Miller. She farmed out these cases to you know various firms in Los Angeles. And um, she, when I talked to her in December, I believe, I can't remember. Um, she said she, like her phone was ringing on stop from attorneys who wanted to you know take part of these. So they have representation now. Okay. Um, even like there was one case that settled for 23 million with the city of Los Angeles for a guy who lost both legs in a vehicle accident. And that settlement was actually like held up. You know, the money was just kind of in limbo for a long period of time because of all of this. And it was just completely unconnected to the allegations, you know, but 
it has been very difficult for some people just to have their money like within arm's reach, but just not getting it yet. Erica's been telling quite a few stories this season that don't really add up. One is that Tom was driving home. He took a wrong turn and somehow fell out of the car. She said he was unconscious for 12 hours and she found him, but then later said she got a call from him. Then the police came forward and said this accident was never filed. Now Erica and their legal team are claiming Tom has Alzheimer's or dementia. Is that something that could potentially protect or help Tom? On the Alzheimer's, he is in a conservatorship now. So there was a doctor who said he has, he shows signs of dementia and Alzheimer's. However, the state bar filed something that said that really cast doubt on any dementia. They were, they pointed to some conference that he was present at in late 2020. um, And so, so even the state bar was like questioning or thought that this was dubious, uh, this whole Alzheimer's diagnosis. Right. So, sorry, I was going to say the dude was having yeah. lunch three months ago with this blonde real estate agent. What the hell? The people I talk to are kind of all across the board. Um, some say like, yeah, he had been, you know, there were things that just he would repeat things. He wasn't remembering names. He was just calling you pal. And these were people who worked closely with him. Um, and who he knew for a long time. So I've heard a lot of different things and I kind of, I don't, I don't know where I come down on this because obviously I have no idea, but the car accident though, I, when I started reporting on this with my colleague uh, several months ago, like we were hearing about the car accident for a while and people would be like, you know, he was in this big car accident, you know, maybe it was a traumatic brain injury, you know, Maybe, and and there was, that car accident at the time was reported in tabloid media as like, he hurt his ankle. Um, And, but, so the Pasadena police, they could not tell me, like in the time frame of the ankle car accident where he hurt his ankle, they didn't have a record of Tom being in a car accident. However, it doesn't mean there wasn't a car accident. It just means they don't have a record. It, it does have fantastical connotations to it. Like, uh, and I think he may have gotten in a car accident. Um, you know, he, he lived in a very, th- that house is kind of up a private drive in Pasadena. That's a very winding. It's very treacherous to drive up. Um, I've, I've never driven up it, but I've seen it and I've seen it on a map and it's like, you know, if you were driving home, you know, at late at night, be like, you know, it, it seemed pretty dicey. Yeah, like you could not suggest that like, okay, he had this accident and his brain, you know, his he, his faculties are limited. And then, you know, started doing all this stuff with money and client money. And it's just, it all collapsed right. then. It's like, well, you know, the facts, the allegations in court are that this has been going on for a long time. Um, or similar behavior at that firm. Like, especially that case that was filed in 2015 for breast cancer survivors um, who, you know, that was a very serious case. Um, You know, he is accused of misappropriating millions of these breast cancer patients' money uh, from a pharmaceutical company. And, you know, those attorneys really played hardball. You know, they tried to hold Tom in contempt and after they filed their contempt motion, uh, the case settled, um, you know, and that was before yeah, this is, car accident. Yeah, no, no. I, I was just going to say, Steve, I think the um, incapacity to make decisions is a great, again, it, it could be to- totally true. The guy's what, 82, 83, but it's a great way to diffuse having to answer directly to people, to judges, to lawyers, creates an extra layer. Um, so they have an incentive to create a conservative conservatorship over him anyway and besides what assets are they appointed over to to 100 million in debt supposedly so great great timing you know (laughs) so then recently he was spotted like also allegedly living at this assisted living right los angeles is a big place paparazzi photos more often than not like there's certain places that they're camping out at a burbank assisted living facility is not one of them so 
you know, I, I have questions. It could have been, yes. you know, the genesis of that I photo op. I'm very curious about. And so back to Erica a little bit. So, you know, obviously I feel for her in some ways if she didn't know anything, but then where is she getting all of this money to live in this $9,000 a month rental in, I don't know what the name of the neighborhood, Hancock, Hancock Park, Park. Is that right? Yeah. And living this absurd, still very like unattainable, wealthy life. I mean, I know on the show she's saying, oh, this cute little house and everything, but that is a $9,000 a month house. Yeah, Where's that money coming from? Yeah, I could presume it was from the show money, but I that's strictly a guess. That that's exactly that's exactly why I go back to this idea that um yeah, look, she had hopes and dreams and she's, you know, a music star and uh, and Tom's just throwing this money like just flooding. Oh my, the expenses of some of these productions is crazy. Matt, you may know the figures, but it's millions of dollars. I mean, he's essentially a private record label, movie company, studio, at private, you know, everything. It's absurd the amount of money that's being thrown here. But going back to the sham transactions. So yeah, if she got this money, it's like, hey, here's 20,000 to do my hair. And that's my wish for the show is I wish the questions have been very, I just have questions about the mechanics of her life at this point and wish that one of the housewives would have asked this, like, you know, you know, to go beyond like, you know, the general questions, but like, how are you affording this house? How are you affording this car? Who pays for the assistant? Those are the questions I have, as opposed to like, did she know they were victims money? Because like, let's start with the, like the practical questions of the day to day. I'm just curious about that, because her life has come under the microscope. And I have questions. I feel like you have these absurdly expensive things only is going to point people to your direction to find out where this money of victims and orphans and widows went. This is, this is why I'm not a huge fan of hers because knowing that let's, let's put aside whether you knew about Tom's crimes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Girardi's operation of let's, let's put all that aside. You know that you're under fire. You know that this is an in, in bankruptcy, you know, they're trying to claw back 25 million. Yet you choose to live this high flying lifestyle where you're clearly blowing cash, just the optics of that. And perhaps she has no moral or ethical or legal obligation to live a, you know, a, a lesser expenditure style lifestyle. Perhaps that argument could be made. I totally get it. She could say, well, I'm, it's my money. It's from the show. I don't care what you guys think the optics are. I'm going to live my life. That is very much her personality. But I think it just she needs an advisor to say, dude, shut up. I've interviewed the widows and orphans in the Philippines uh, and, and that was before the show appeared. And, you know, they thought they saw the show as, you know, exactly what Raisa is saying. Like, like it just angered them more. It was rubbing salt in their wound um, and has motivated them to just continue fighting and, you know, escalate. So whether or not, you know, her, role in all this, you know, is strictly, you know, the fact that the optics of it have motivated the victims, the widows, the orphans. So it's just, you know, she's not gaining their goodwill um, by the current strategy. Uh, I mean, and that's the thing is like, I, I find watching her very difficult because she's, she is literally doing the, and, I'll use a Dorit term, the diametrical opposite of what she should be doing in this moment. Victims are first. Just the way that she's handling it is is really, really, really bad. But what could she do legally without getting herself more... Like, she's not in trouble yet, so I guess she's not charged. But, like, would she be able to do something to raise money for them? I, 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 love, I love what you just said. Could she have put on a fundraiser? You live in freaking yes. Beverly Hills, honey. Right, like, because I don't have, know why that hasn't happened. You, you have rich friends. And notwithstanding the fact that you're you're claiming you were completely insulated, and I think she's even said recently, my husband's a piece of shit. He kept me in the dark. She's warned people that the more money your husbands make, the more you're not going to – you're, you're going to get forced out of the picture. Right. Perfect. You know what? Why don't you put together a fundraiser? Wait, raise 100000 Yeah, more like 10 million, but ra- ra- do something, create a fund, 
Zero. Yeah. The optics instead are she's a party girl who couldn't care any about anything and anyone, and she's going to live her life. There's nothing legally that would stop her from doing that. In fact, most people looking at this would say, you want to control your optics? Hush down the lifestyle. Drive a Honda Civic for like a few weeks and, and or, or, or a 2005 AMG instead and, and put on her fundraiser for people who didn't get paid because you know your husband did this. You've called him a piece of shit. You've said you don't, you've been insulated. Do something nice for these people. Is it possible that Erica's name could be on all of these businesses and she truly has no idea where the money came from or what was happening? So here, here's what I'll, I'll tell you just from my experience. Okay. When you go, when you, Steve, Matt, anybody goes mm -hmm. and creates a company and there's two owners and you go to Chase Bank or Wells Fargo or Washington Mutual, wherever, and you say, I'm going to open a bank account. They're going to ask for the signatories of both owners. They're going to ask for a partnership agreement that gives you the authority to open the account. That's by default. That's to protect the bank from situations that say you had no authority to do this and partners get fight and they draw the bank in. So I know this for a fact that Chase Bank specifically does this because I've opened dozens and dozens and dozens of companies for my clients in the same scenario. Was she without knowledge as to the expenditures? Possibly. I, I you know, I, I could take her off online banking or limit your view. Sure, cash can be drawn, but you're probably on the banking and you probably could get access you just probably didn't care because there's an abundance of money. I, I think it is completely possible that she had no idea. Um, however, what we do know is, you know, in the Rui Gomez case, she was subpoenaed, uh, you know, before the divorce. Right. They were trying to get her to uh, sit for a deposition. And she said filming for this season prevented that. So we do know like that. Tom was sued and that made the news a few years ago um, for these high interest loans. Um, you know, that news spread like a wildfire in the legal community. Um, it directly alleged like an obscene lifestyle that was flaunted on this TV show. There was, there were clues that would be like, hmm, what's going on here? I, I totally agree with what Matt just said. And here's the interesting thing. If you are if a conservative has been appointed over you and you don't have mental capacity, you can't yourself technically testify about what happened yesterday. And yet the guy has said 80 million, how much $80 million has just disappeared? Where, how do you not know, bro? How do you not know? Even if your expenditure, your burn rate's a million dollars a month, to kick five, six and years was, to burn that kind of money. That was in September or October of 2020. That quote so um you know and then two months later claims of mental incompetence so you know he said that pretty lucidly at least in the clip that was in the documentary and that 100%. that deposition part of that transcript was filed in court and he was sitting next to his longtime attorney um who was also one of his best friends during that deposition you know so who's <laughs> no who's surprise. who's been directly involved in defending a lot of the cases where tom's been sued Sutton questioned if Erica was maybe being fed some of these stories from Tom and his legal team. Is that something you could see them doing? It's it's quite pot. Knowing how charismatic, convincing, powerful, and the the scale of wealth we're talking about and the risk, right? It's very possible, which is precisely why people think the marriage is this divorce was a sham, right? And and again, her her words are no, this is real, he's a piece of shit, and this and that. But what's at stake, people? What's at stake for her to be able to at least write it off as, yeah, my husband was a douche. And, and it, truth be told, I know what's going on. I want to escape this thing, you know, scot-free. So I don't know. There's a lot at stake here. So could any of the other cast members potentially be pulled into this legal mess? I'm sure they'll all get deposed <laughs> and have to <laughs> Do you think? make statements. Oh, why not? I mean, if, if, yeah. if, if I'm the prosecutor here and I yeah. want to really figure out, I'm going to subpoena edited unedited tapes i'm gonna i'm gonna subpoena all these people for depositions the cameraman or camera woman oh yeah so they don't have exposure per se but but they'll have to like rapid. answer yeah i'm sure you know there's no allegation that like any of the housewives are done wrongdoing but yeah it's just it's a right. nightmare to right. get a subpoena you know my heart really goes out to these victims rais am i correct in thinking if no funds can be recovered, then the victims will not be compensated. Unfortunately, 
That is the sad reality we're dealing with. Unless there's some victim's compensation fund, which will not be at the scale that they're entitled to receive, nobody, they're not going to get anything. Yeah, like the state bar has a victim's compensation fund, but I think it takes years. It takes a long time to get your money back. And and also, I think the order of people getting their money, I think... I think Rui Gomez's will get their money early, oh, yeah. but um, you know the, the the banks or the lenders are likely to get their money too pretty early. Um, we'll see how that plays out. I'd like to thank you, Matt and Raiz, for joining me today to help break down the case. I know a lot of people are closely following it, so this has been extremely helpful. Do you guys have any last thoughts? I mean, I, I would just say that uh, the legal landscape changes every day. I think the risk goes up every day. The sad, unfortunate reality is that I don't think we're going to see the scale of recovery that we really need to see here. And uh, that's my fear. I, I don't, I hope there's a hidden trust account somewhere that somebody discovers and people can get paid. I just don't think it exists. And all I'll say is this is going to be going on for years. Um, and I think it will take a while to get a full honest accounting of what happened and who was involved and it's possible that there are people who just aren't on our radar who will surface who were involved in and who had knowledge so time will tell yes time will tell (laughs) and thank you all for listening be sure to check out other podcasts from the dip including hot off the mess with samantha bush pop chaser tv watch repeat and the slut pig podcast with christian gray snow and don't forget to visit thedip.com where you can get commentary and analysis from writers editors and fans who are just as passionate about pop culture as you are that's the dip with two p's.com and follow them on instagram at the dip you can also follow me at Faces by Bravo, where we can keep in touch until next time. And as always, but now we said it.